Welcome to Evidence-Based Radio. It's Friday night, and uh, we are uh, live, and this is our uh, biannual fun drive week, as you may know, if you've been uh, listening at all this week yet. Uh, do you remember that we are completely volunteer-run and completely volunteer-listener-supported? Uh, we don't get any funding from um, government or uh, anything like that. We are completely funded by our uh, listeners. And so tonight I have a special guest in studio who is uh, moving around in the background, as you can probably hear. <laughs> uh, so Michael Dow is uh, joining us tonight, and uh, we're going to be doing a bit of a debate to sort of switch things up. And so we're going to be debating what are some of the most important inventions in uh, human civilization. So um, otherwise, you can always find me uh, throughout the week at the Facebook page or on uh, Podcaster, um, any of the podcatchers, or you can also find me at uh, evidencebasederata.com. And so, yeah, welcome to Evidence-Based Radio for this evening. So, Mike, do you want to start off? And uh, that's why, of course, uh, the, we now know the Earth to be banana-shaped. <laughs> 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 Sorry. Hi, I, <clears throat> I'm Michael Dow. Uh, those of you who don't, you know, switch the dial fast enough after Stacey's show <laughs> know that I'm the host of Civil Politics. <laughs> what you may not know um, <clears throat> is that I, you know, I have some interest uh, in science and history so much so that I got a master's in the history of science from UMass oh, a few years ago now, but still, it counts. <laughs> and, um, yeah, so uh, thank you for having me on during Fun Drive Week. By the way, valleyfreeradio.org slash donate. Please give us money. Yes. Stacy and I can't afford to do this show. Well, we don't get paid, but... <laughs> yeah, well... But, but we can't afford a radio station on our own. <laughs> we definitely cannot afford a radio station on our own. Yeah. So, so please... <laughs> Donate, support. Stacy does this great show all the time, every week, pretty much every week, by herself. No support. You know, none of us helping her out, knocking the <laughs> books out of her hand while she hurries to class. You know, putting shade and cream in her locker. Um, yeah, it's we're terrible. Like, I, this is this some kind of revenge? You're gonna dump like you know, like a bucket on me, like at the end of Carrie or something? Or <laughs> uh, we'll we'll see what happens. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. But once again, do donate to us at uh, uh, valleyfreeradio.org slash donate. That's the PayPal page. It's great. And uh, it, we can say more about that during the show. So, right. um, so uh, I would say starting off, uh, I was just reading a really interesting book, which is what prompted me when you said, hey, come on my show for a fun drive week. Because, you know, we can, you know, Stacy was like, I can cut your mic anytime I need to <laughs> and start talking about pledging instead. So. It's true. I, yeah. <laughs> the buttons, I can't reach them. So um, uh, I was reading uh, uh, a book that I found really, really interesting by um, my favorite historian and honestly one of my favorite nonfiction authors of any sort, uh, Alfred W. Crosby. Um, I love Crosby's writing. I just, mm. it's, it's fun, it's peppy, he's interesting. Um, he's also done some seminal work in history. Uh, he wrote, uh, he did the first major uh, uh, sort of study of the great flu pandemic of 1918 back in like 1976, 77. Um, and he also was the fellow who published the famous book, The Columbian Exchange, about like sort of ah. biological interplay between the old world and the Americas. Um, he's also written books like Ecological Imperialism, uh, the Measure of Reality, and um, the book uh, uh, I just read is called Children of the Sun. And it's sort of an overview of human culture and our history, uh, through and, and uh, including things like our economics and science, through the lens of, like, where do we get our energy from? Because, you know... Mm, very interesting. We get our energy from the sun, as... It, as 
I would assume everyone listening to this, this show knows. But he, he talks about how, like, you know, like, we get, the, like, all the energy in the Earth basically comes from the sun. Um, he's, he, he has, like, a paragraph. He's like, okay, there are some exceptions which have no impact at all on human history, so we are now going to ignore them. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <clears throat> um, anyway, so... Uh, he talks about how, like, a big part of the development of human technology and, and society, our culture, our economics, everything, technology, is about finding better ways to uh, utilize more energy from the sun. Uh, you know, because it used to be, like, we could do things with muscles. And then we got animals' muscles, but still, it's just muscles. And, you know, once we started uh, figuring out ways to tap into energy from petroleum, which is more concentrated than you know, things start to happen, and obviously there's nuclear energy and so on and so forth. Right. Um, so <clears throat> he said, like, the fundamental invention, the thing that makes humans start to be truly different from other animals is cooking. Right. Because cooking allows our ancestors to get access to food sources, rich sources of nutrition and energy that they would not otherwise be able to tap easily or at all. Right. Um, like, there's a lot of plants that we eat that you can't eat without cooking it. Nope. <laughs> and a bunch of animals, too. <clears throat> and, uh, you know, obviously fire is important and, and projectiles are important. But, like, he said, like, sort of the thing that allows humans to have to start developing the, the resources that allow us to be smart, tool-using ape things with lifespans long enough that we have like multiple generations raising the young and passing on learning uh in a in a you know multi-generational way is cooking so i see you nodding what do you think <laughs> um i mean cooking is definitely on my list mm -hmm. so i actually in preparation made a list and i divided it actually into three kind of vague uh divisions and so i sort of whimsically named them uh, Essential Starts, Required Improvements, and Great Inventions. Nice. So Essential Starts, tell me about those. Um, so those are the sort of things that get us started. Uh, things like cooking uh, is definitely on there. Uh, specifically, beer and bread yeah. uh, are on there if we're talking about civilization. Because beer and bread are really the things that lead to people beginning to think about we used to think that uh domestication of wheat came before beer and bread and now we're starting to think that beer and bread came first and then domestication came after that so how would that work exactly so at the time, or at least generally i mean i right. realize you weren't there so so generally <laughs> how it works is that you know there were varieties of wheat that already existed einkorn yeah. uh for instance is the is the sort of one that's very uh well known and is still available sure. um and so um you know you have wild varieties but once you start to realize that they can create these things this beer this bread that you can turn into something that's not only nutrient dense but also portable mm. that's when you start to think well maybe we should be trying to make sure that we have this resource at all times in order to make this thing that is so important and so helpful to us and so that's where domestication of these sorts of grains begin to take place because you have figured out that there's a use for them so in other words, they're saying like, you know, if we start like cultivating this stuff deliberately, like making an effort to grow more of this stuff and clearing land and whatnot, we could have beer all the time? Pretty much. Yep. Okay. Because <laughs> that's true thinking about it. Like, because wheat, of course, is a grass mm -hmm. and it's found throughout North Africa and the Middle East and whatnot. But it's, Absolutely. it's seasonal. Yep. So there would have been times a year where it's like, well, beer would be great right now, but we don't have any. Right. We can't make any. Yep. Huh. And, a, that's an interesting thinking. Yeah. And so they didn't used to have a lot of evidence of, you know, breads and beers that were pre sort of when they knew that there had been domestication. But in recent years, they have found evidences of both of those things in um, sort of pre-agricultural um, 
Well, the Mediterranean area in, in Mesopotamia, right? Um, yeah, specifically in sort of um, the sort of Lebanon and uh, that area there um, in the Levant. Right. Um, I know that there's been some um, discoveries in that area. So I think maybe in Turkey as well. That would make sense. There are a yeah. lot of early human uh, sites in Turkey. So, the, um, sorry, and maybe you don't know this, but like how does this play out outside of that sort of area that's area around the Mediterranean, like in China, like were they doing beer or like was rice a similar thing or, you know. So I'm not sure about um, in China offhand. I know that I was just looking at. It's harder to find sources in English, it, yeah. Well, and also, um, you know, it's harder to sort of figure out exactly how those things were happening. I think in China, um, I tend to think that there was also a little more of a different cultural effect mm. where, um you know, in China, I tend to think about things being more about um, power dynamics and so having control of food resources. Um, not that that's not a, at play in the Middle East at this time either, but um, yep. and uh, but what I was actually it was really interesting because what I talked about actually last week on the show was about a third cradle of um, domestication, which was in the um, which was in uh, East Africa. And so that's for... Oh, like around the Horn of Africa, like Ethiopia and whatnot, or Kenya, um, or, I mean, roughly today, obviously. Uh, in the Niger River Valley, actually. Oh, that's... Wait, the Niger... Isn't that West Africa? Sorry, West Africa. You're right. I'm, okay. I'm getting my... Mixing my metaphors here, uh, so to speak. So yes, in Western oh. Africa. So that's where... Um, oh, interesting. Yeah, so that's where um, yams. So they're cultivating yams. They're right. cultivating um, pearl millet. Right, because um, even, even wild early varieties of yam and millet would probably still be worth the trouble. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, I think it's always funny, I mentioned this last week, is that we always think about the cradle of civilization being, you know, the Middle East between the Tigris and the Euphrates. And it's like, there are a lot of people, a lot of other places, too. Um, so, of course, we haven't talked about yet, but there's also maize and uh, pumpkins and things like that, gourds in the Americas that, yeah. you know, they didn't bring wheat with them no. uh, from the old world. They didn't bring rice with them from the old world. Um, and actually rice, there's, there's two, there were two varieties of rice. So they're developing rice in China, but they're also developing African rice in uh, that same area where they're developing millet and, uh, right. and yams. So, and, and um, years ago, what, when I was in grad school, uh, uh, I helped teach a course. I was a TA for uh uh, Professor John Higginson at UMass, who's a tremendous historian. I was just so impressed by his erudition. And it was, you know, the survey course on African history before 1500. Mm -hmm. So John starts with like, okay, so about two million years ago, we've got these early human ancestors <laughs> and whatnot. It's like, you know. Um, and so, uh, you know, this was all 15 years ago or whatever, so I don't know how current the research is. But at the time, there was some interesting stuff pointing out that there, there, there were archaeological sites suggesting that uh, you had sort of early human settlements uh, in the Nile Valley and, and North Africa, which far enough back ago was a sort of a wet, marshy oh, yeah, lake area. Mm -hmm. um, that, you know, is like easily 5,000, uh, uh, 5,000, uh, well, actually more like seven or 8,000 years ago, mm -hmm. so like 5,000 B.C. Yeah, there's a, there's a fantastic... Um, documentary about um i think it's called the black mummy and um basically it's about the fact that um in this in that time period it wasn't just that egypt was much more green it was that the entire uh sahara eth uh, area yep. was filled with lakes and um, with, you know, verdant yeah. uh, fields of uh, grasslands and things like that. And so... And had been for thousands of years. Absolutely. And so there were a lot of people there and they actually have found... You can actually find in the Sahara still um, remains of um, of um, petroglyphs and things like that that the people left. And um, about 20 years ago, maybe more now, uh, they found this mummy. And so... Um, they could actually show that these people were kind of the people who moved into the to the Nile Valley, and they actually mm. had that culture had already started before people moved into the Nile Valley, mm. um, in that real 
way. And so and, um, it's and a really... And in a sense was able to survive in the Nile Valley when the rest of the Sahara dried up. Exactly. Oh, that's really interesting. Yeah, it was really fascinating. Um, but... <laughs> if we lived in a better world, we'd throw... We'd have like this great archaeological project surveying the whole Sahara to find out more about these people like yeah. 10,000 years ago. Because that'd be amazing. But in the meantime... <laughs> We could use your money right now here at Valley Free Radio. Yes, um, because as much as we would love to do those sorts of things, we also love doing this, and we cannot do this without you. Um, I know it's it seems like a broken record by Friday evening, but, um, you know, if you haven't yet, and if you have already, thank you so much, Yay, because I you. love doing this, and I can't do it without you. Um, so yeah, valleyfreeradio.org uh, slash donate is the best way to do it. Um, and so, yeah. And if Every dollar goes to like operating the station, keeping the lights on, paying for the transmitter, renting the space, you know, equipment upgrades and things like that. We, we, we had some, uh, work done on the, the mixing board earlier this mm -hmm. year and, uh, uh, some, some long-term wiring glitches fixed. Um, so hopefully that's going to wind up, uh, uh, when that work process is done, is going to actually improve our sound quality too and Absolutely. make us, uh, uh, transmit more clearly. So that'll be good. So, but none of that happens without your help. So please, please, please valleyfreeradio.org slash donate. Yeah. All right. So let's, we, we've talked about sort of, uh, you know, beer and bread and, and, uh, agriculture and fire and that sort of thing because fire know, is an obvious like it, it's a thing humans do exactly yeah. um and of course you know that the thing about fire is that it's not necessarily an invention it's kind of something that you learn how to how to create after you've already found it so but um yeah even before you know how to start a fire carrying it around with you is still a very useful thing and, exactly and there's evidence people did that for a long time mm-hmm um so some of the other things on my essential starts, one of the things that we haven't talked about, and that isn't necessarily something that you do think about, but the very first thing on my list, uh -huh. uh, the second thing was beer, bread, cooking. The first yeah, thing... Yeah, I start with food. I mean, I leave it in my stomach. <laughs> the first thing for me was language. Mm. Because language is the way that you are able to keep things from being that that you're able to perpetuate things because if you can't if you figure something out if there's no way for you to tell someone else how to do it then we're not going anywhere right and it's very hard to show people things it's so. very hard to show people things um and so that's another one of those big places where we differ from a lot of animals yeah uh, language is definitely like such an like an integral part of what it means to be human. Um, like, you know, way more than I do about uh, birds and corvids, especially that's, it's one of your, you know, evergreen <laughs> topics. And I know that there's research to suggest that like, s at least some of the more sophisticated thinking that language sort of makes possible slash we express with language seems to be going on with some birds, mm -hmm. but fundamentally like, I mean, is language an invention or a technology? I mean, it's just like, it's kind of, it'd be kind of like, well, you know, humans have thumbs, you know? It's like, right. humans are bipedal. It's like, yeah. <laughs> and so, you know, I, I did think about it because, of course, it is about inventions. But I think that because it's such an essential thing and because people have done it in so many ways, in so many places all over the world. It's one of those ubiquitous things, but it's also something that I don't think that we think about um, enough, that there is a real, uh, you know, component to civilization that is at, at bedrock based on language. Ab absolutely. Um, when I, oh, geez, years ago, I won't say how many years ago, but again, when I was at UMass and... Uh, 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 another uh, course I helped to teach was uh, sort of general survey and the history of science. Mm -hmm. And I remember in the first part of the class when we're talking again about <clears throat> the, the earliest inventions in technologies, and I said, you know, like um, uh, language is like this thing all humans have, and the invention of writing is is really important, right? Uh, or some way of transmitting information 
from one person to another and especially and, and storing information so that other people can use it and so you remember it later and, and all this other stuff um, because as soon as your population starts to starts to grow and I forget what the numbers is it like 150 people is like about as much of a band before you start to go like I don't really know that person yeah I think so yeah um, I don't know but so once you start to live in bands that are like settlements that are like a thousand people it's like I don't, I don't know everybody here I mean I've seen them around I don't know. Um, and it's, it starts to get difficult to remember who's doing what and who owns what and where things are and whatnot. And you run out of the ability for humans to store all the information in their memory. Right. So you need to find a way to solve this problem. You've got too much information. How do we deal with it? Um, you, know, uh, you know, too many people, not enough data storage. Uh, which is the same reason why people started, you know, once you start living in settlements, you have to start farming because it's like too many people, not enough food. What do you right. do? Yeah. Yeah. And actually, uh, under the first thing under my required improvements is writing slash movable type, et cetera, because of course mm -hmm. it's not writing that's essential. It's that ability to store information. So I always think about, um, you know, we think about writing as kind of the quintessential thing, but I always think about um, kipus. kipus. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah. And so um, if you're not familiar, kipus are actually, uh, they are an information storage system based on knotted uh, strands of um, twine that were used in uh, the Inca Empire. And so... Um, like you could have a cord with a whole bunch of other cords dangling off it and mm -hmm. the knots, like the shape and the spacing could tell you a lot. And then what, what it was made out of. Like, exactly. There was a whole grammar of that. Which, exactly. How much of that is, 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 has survived? Because I honestly don't know. I remember reading about that and... So I it, it was like a, oh my God, you know, like, like you know, pale-faced academics like me were like, oh my God, did you know the Incas have like this thing called quipus? And it's like totally like, wow. <laughs> you know? um, we don't have a lot of them because, mm -hmm. of course, you know, they're made from rope, uh, which is easily degraded and also easily thrown into a fire, for instance, when you're uh, a conquistador and you're trying to destroy a people's civilization. Um, We're looking at you, Pizarro. But uh, I know there has been some actually some recent work done, and I I fear that I can't pull it out of the back of my uh, brain with enough detail. But I know that someone had been working on decoding them recently and had uh, suggested that they had made some pretty interesting uh, inroads into actually decrypting what they were about. Um, and so I know that, that that information is out there. I can't I can't pull it up for you uh, out of my own database at the moment, but I know that if you wanted to look into that more, it's out there. And I think that I've talked about it on the on the show before. Well, one of the things that I've, I'm fascinated about with Kipus is so so writing as we practice it, especially in English with our alphabet and so forth, as you know, comes ultimately from the Sumerians, I think, or somebody in Mesopotamia, yeah. Sumerians, Babylon, and so on. One yep. of those, some of those dudes um, <laughs> and dudettes. <laughs> they, um, and originally it started with people sort of just recording like, I, here's my tax, here's my cows, here's my grain, whatever. Mm -hmm. And eventually people going like, you know, over a period of time, realizing like, you know, you can just make the symbols and, and that'll tell you what you need to know. And hey, you can use the symbols to symbol to rep represent sounds, and then once you do that, you can start actually using the symbols to record speech. And like I don't. And then once you've got that, you, you know, you can use those symbols to express anything that can be expressed in speech. Right. Kipus, I I know were used for sort of storing administrative information in the same way mm -hmm. by the Inca. Do you know if they had anything like the kind of complexity or the kind of flexibility, maybe? Because, I mean, they can be very complex right. and not flexible enough or flexible in the way that lets you, you know, record uh, the Inca equivalent of the Iliad on them. Right. So um, I don't know specifically. I think that um, we mostly know of them being sort of record-keeping devices. Right. Um, I think that the Inca had other ways in which they stored information, uh, that doesn't generally survive. Mm -hmm. um, the Inca, I think, are the ones who had the least amount of sort of uh, evidence of any kind of written tradition, um, if I'm 
my memory is serving that, me right. That's my understanding. And, yeah. of, and of course, there were there, writing had been developed by peoples in Central America, like the Maya. I think, right. The Maya. The, the Maya had. Yeah. The Maya wrote on everything, everywhere. <laughs> and, and presumably, I mean, there's 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 obviously like distances of space and time and terrain. Nevertheless, exactly. it's very likely the Inca would have had at least some contact with Maya or people who were familiar with their cultural achievements and writing. So, Right. But um, I think the Inca were, uh, it's funny because I think of the Inca more as sort of the Romans. That's um, not a bad parallel, my understanding is. They were aggressive and territorial and imperialistic. Right. And so it feels like they were much more interested in that sort of administrative minutia than they were in things like the Iliad. Mm. Um, and so that was much more to their uh, interest than writing down a bunch of myths that they could just have someone tell. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Fair enough. And so, um, yeah, um, I'm not certain about that. But, um, you know, that is definitely, those storage systems are very important. Mm -hmm. um, but I think that... And another one of those early inventions that, uh, I don't know if it's on your list, but uh, uh, making cords and threads and cloth, yep. you know, such a huge thing. I mean, because you, you can start storing things in baskets and carrying things around in backpacks or whatever and making nets and fishing lines and I don't know. So I'm going to run down my list of essential starts before we go to break. Yeah. And you can ruminate on them on the two minutes while we're doing uh, PSAs and show promos. And maybe we can talk about it a little bit. And hopefully we'll eventually get maybe for a few seconds to great inventions. We might have to do a part two of this at some point. <laughs> There'll be other fun drives. <laughs> um, remember, this is fun drive. Do please call in and <laughs> give us money or uh, go to valleyfreeradio.org slash donate. Um, or call us during the break at 413-585-1033 and we can take your pledge on, uh, you know, off air. Um, so I'm just going to run down my essential starts where, uh, -huh. uh, we've gone through the first couple, uh, language, beer, bread, cooking, uh, pottery in the kiln, mm. weaving and spinning, glass, rope, simple machines, the arch, uh, irrigation and water storage, uh, agriculture and animal domestication, windmills, zero and ships and ringing. That's my essential starts. Ships and what? Rigging. Rigging. Oh. Rigging. Okay. Yep. Yeah. All right. So you can also ruminate on those for a few moments while we go to a short break where we are going to do some PSAs and show promos. So do stay tuned for the next few minutes and we will be back with more discussion. And take a moment to donate while you're listening to valleyfreeradio.org slash donate. Help us stay on the air. Indeed. Bill Bowie from Corporate Watchdog Radio. This is a message from RideBuzz.org, a nonprofit ride-sharing organization based here in the Valley. You can lighten your pocketbook and help save the planet by joining RideBuzz. www.ridebuzz.org has a fun and free online ride-sharing tool that you can trust. RideBuzz.org is easy to use and helps you connect with other fellow travelers in the community that are looking to share rides. You pay less than $2 a gallon for gas when you share a ride. Don't have a car? No problem. You help out by chipping in for gas when you get a ride. Ride sharing reduces emissions, so please don't drive alone. Register to RideBuzz.org today, and you'll be entered to win a pound of RideBuzz coffee from our supporter, Dean's Beans. If you want to start a ride sharing program for your own organization, RideBuzz will help you. For more information, contact Jeff at R-I-D-E-B-U-Z-Z dot org. Hi, I'm Charlie. I fight fires and I save lives. My name's Renee. I'm a cardiologist. I save lives. My name's Anthony. I'm an EMT. I save lives. You don't have to be a professional to save a life. Firefighters, doctors, and others save lives. You can too. Don't wait. To learn more about the warning signs and how you can help prevent suicide, visit save.org. In a crisis, Call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-TALK. Has anyone ever asked you, don't you have enough records? Adventure Rocket Ship is new and old. Indie pop, psych pop, post-punk, shoegaze, 
Lots of chiming, jangly guitars and catchy melodies from both artists you know and obscure 7-inch singles from around the world. Adventure Rocket Ship, Tuesday nights, 9 to 11 p.m. on Valley Free Radio. Alcohol poisoning is caused by binge drinking large quantities of alcohol in a short period of time. Very high levels of alcohol in the body can shut down critical areas of the brain that control breathing, heart rate, and body temperature, resulting in death. Alcohol poisoning deaths affect people of all ages, but are most common among middle-aged adults. In the United States, an average of six people die every day from alcohol poisoning. Most of the deaths are among men. States and communities can support proven programs and policies to prevent binge drinking. Healthcare providers can screen all adult patients for binge drinking and counsel those who do to drink less. Don't binge drink. If you choose to drink, do so in moderation. Up to one drink a day for women or two drinks a day for men. To learn more, visit cdc.gov slash vital signs. My name is Amanda Messer. I'm 17 years old, and I'm a student from Turner's Falls High School. Billboard bodies. Does anybody really look like that? Someone could be flipping through a magazine, looking at that pretty girl or that buffed-out guy, then go gag themselves. We need to love our looks for what they are, other than what people say they need to be. People can have beauty no matter what they look like. Beauty only comes from the, from the heart, soul, and mind. Most magazines emphasize the outside when it's the inside that really matters. And change in society would be most ideal for everyone. Sassy! Today's episode, Bobcat in the Cave. Oh, nuts! There's a bobcat in this cave! Save us, Sassy! You will, but first you'd like to stress the importance of cat adoption? Over 5 million cats go into animal shelters every year and they need to be adopted? Help us, Sassy! Why bother? We'll just get into more trouble tomorrow? Sassy is brought to you by the Ad Council and the shelterpetproject.org. Remember, adopt. Classical music on Valley Free Radio. Tune in to Andy Musique Wednesday mornings at 7 a.m. for an hour of beautiful music to start your day. Hosted by Lucy and Larry. And we are back. And so, yeah, we're going to talk some more about this. So I shared most of my list with Mike uh, during the break. So I'm just going to give him a moment to uh, sort of tell me what he thinks. Uh, I will, right after I mention that you're listening to The Pledge Drive here on Valley Free Radio, WXOJLP 103.3 FM out of Northampton, Massachusetts. And we need your money. Oh, God, we need your money so we can keep doing this because our shoestring budget station needs more shoestrings. (laughs) (laughs) And you can give us money by going to valleyfreeradio.org slash donate. That's on our website. That's uh, links to our PayPal page, so it's a secure transaction. You can give us money easily, make recurring gifts, give a shout-out to Stacy's Great Show, Evidence-Based, all that stuff. You don't have to have PayPal. You can just use your own credit card. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just it's processed through PayPal. Yep. And if you're really old school, our address is on there as well, you know, on the website, so you can always mail us a check. We'll, we'll cash those. <laughs> Actually, we'll deposit those. We won't cash them. <laughs> exactly. So uh, I like your list. Um, I think we've pretty much covered a lot of the uh, uh, essential starts because I, mm-hmm. I agree with you. You know, fire and you know, fire is obviously important. Pottery. Um, uh, Crosby, by the way, I mentioned him earlier. Mm-hmm. Wrote another book, uh, an earlier book uh, called "Throwing Fire," in which he argued that if you wanted to sort of define humans uh, like uh, distinctly from other species, uh, you could do a lot worse than saying that we're the apes who like who like to throw things and use fire. Yeah. Yeah. You know, projectiles are and it's true. I don't think there are any other animals out there that hunt with projectiles certainly that use projectiles. So I know that there there are chimps that do use projectiles occasionally but not in that sort of specific way that actually 
that that researchers would say has agency. I think yeah. that sometimes they'll throw things at each other, but it doesn't have the same kind of agency behind it. Yeah, and and Crosby pointed out it has to do with the structure, the bony structure of our shoulders, and also the way our eyes sort of perceive. Uh, the shape of things and whatnot. But anyway. Chris, that actually does remind me of something that I left off the list that should be on the list, which is, of course, um, and I can never say it properly. Canapping? Uh, no, not not napping. <laughs> uh, not flint napping, which is what uh, he is referring to, which is, of course, creating stone tools, but actually um, the uh, atlata. Atlatl? At the atlatl, yes. Yeah. So that is a... Uh, Using your projectiles more efficiently. Yeah. Yep. Mm -hmm. It's it's for helping you to throw a spear better, basically. And that is considered one of the really essential. Well, uh, you mentioned simple tools. As I did. One of your thing. And that's a simple tool. It it's, is. It's, it's, it's basically a variation of the lever. Yep. So, yeah. Um, so your required uh, 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 developments, your required improvements mm -hmm. um, to make civilization nice as opposed to just you know, well, I guess it works, you know. Yeah. Um, it's things that separate us from, uh, like, Rome, for example. Like, mm -hmm. Rome was okay if you were a patrician, but if you were a pleb living in Rome, it could be awful. And one of the most basic ones, of course, is vaccines. Right. Um, because uh, up until, I think, the 19th century, recent times anyways, you know, 18th at the, at, at the, late, at the earliest, uh, Human civil human cities were uh, uh, population drains. Like more people would die in yep. a city every year than were born in the city. Absolutely, and they maintained their their population density because people would migrate there. Mm -hmm. uh, oftentimes, because they had nothing nowhere else to go, so yes. they were desperate. <laughs> but you know, like yeah, like because they were just sinks for all kind you know great places for people to pass diseases around to one another and also they were smelly and terrible yes so public sanitation is another one of the things you mentioned yep and and another one that uh uh well so so stacy's list was uh included things like vaccines mm -hmm. pasteurization mm -hmm. so yep again that's that's food safety uh refrigeration which is a, a sort of a latecomer but oh boy is it great <laughs> Refrigeration is also gives us air conditioning. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Chunky people like me, who have a lot more volume to surface area, really appreciate <laughs> air conditioning in th at, th at this time of year. So, um, And you also mentioned uh, public sanitation, obviously, mm -hmm. and the Haber process. What's the Haber process? Because I, I this is why I'm like, ha-ha, ah, thing to talk about, but... What is the Haber process? So, um, and this is, is this Fritz Haber? Is that who I'm yes. thinking of? Yes. Okay. Uh, Fritz Haber, who uh, kind of accidentally saved the world in some ways, uh, though um, I didn't uh, bring up, um, oh no, I'm not going to forget his name now. Um, the person who is actually responsible for the Green Revolution. Um, uh, uh, Borlaug. Borlaug, yes. Um, but, anyways, um, so Fritz Haber developed a. Um, way in order to fix nitrogen uh, in order to create the first synthetic uh, fertilizers. And uh, unfortunately, he was also uh, a Nazi or a Nazi sympathizer, I can't remember which, and also developed, uh, I, I believe he was actually the one who developed Cyclone B, but don't don't quote me on that. Um, I'm, I, I think that might have been him, but uh, he definitely wasn't the greatest guy. Um. <laughs> well, un uh, un unfortunately, there's like a like a even before uh, World War II, uh, in the First World War, there was a um, a conscious effort by uh, the German scientific community, mm -hmm. uh, inspired by a sense of nationalism, to d to develop new ways of murdering people using yes. science. Yeah. Um, Einstein was uh, one of the reasons why Einstein uh, was such became such a uh, prominent figure was because he was known for his his disdain for that. He's saying, like, what's the point of this? We're trying to make science, not better ways to kill people. Yeah. So why are we testing chlorine gas and stuff? <clears throat> but um, so the Haber process was important because artificial fertilizer lets us replenish soils that are depleted. Right. Um, of essential nutrients uh, like, like phosphorus and um, 
nitrogen. Thank you. <laughs> and without having to use things like night soil, which is, of course, a euphemism for... Human excrement. Yes. But that's interesting because um, why not use human excrement? Um, because of the potential for uh, the transmission of diseases. The, the, a definite concern, but... Um, you Which can... we still have today with, um, you know, unfortunately, it, it's not it's not the essential issue because we still have problems with that in our in our uh, agricultural food chains. Absolutely. We haven't gotten rid of that problem. Right. But um, other societies around the world mm -hmm. um, didn't do what we do, which is to, like, build these sewer systems and then just pipe all the crap away um, because one of the effects of that is it, it leads to essentially a long-term transfer of nutrients from the soil out into the ocean, just away from where we right. want it. Like before you'd have like this biological cycle of like animals would go out or even people would go out and they eat the food and then they'd, you know, uh, take a crap and like they'd redeposit the nutrients there and it would get mixed back into the soil. And it was a cycle. Mm -hmm. Um, so once, uh, 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 European civilization, especially because, you know, like it or like it or hate it, and uh, a lot of people hate it for a lot of reasons. Um, once the Europeans start to like change, shape the world to fit their ideas of what a civilization or society should be, um, they uh, basically create this this problem of uh, depleting the soil uh, of its nutrients, and that means that. Um, and this is one of the things that's fascinating to me is. Uh, there was a, a ref reference uh, uh, people referred to Britain for a while as the vampire of Europe because they'd like go to like the battlefield of Waterloo and they exhume they dig up the dead and basically grind them down to make into fertilizer and they would fight wars over new sources of fertilizer and whatnot um, whereas well, if they done that differently they wouldn't have had to let's move on to something else though um, yeah absolutely um, so one of the other big things on my list was, uh, of course, contraceptives. Ooh, that's kind of relevant. <laughs> yeah. Um, that's one of the things I think we might be touching on tonight on civil politics. Right. And so, um, yeah, I think that that's a very important one because uh, once you get to a certain point, population control and the ability of people to choose when they want to have children becomes an essential part of allowing people to continue to be able to um, have a society where people can choose what they want to do, how they can learn and things like that. It's important at both on a personal level and also on a, uh, a macro scale um, <clears throat> because uh, it's very, it's, it's not all that hard for a popular, for society to, uh, uh, for its population to expand past its resources, its ability to support those people. Um, and especially when you have good vaccination and sanitation and pasteurized food and drink and all the other things so that, so, you know, you don't have like, oh, yes, well, my wife and I had 10 kids and four of them made it to adulthood. Exactly. Uh, yeah, it becomes very different, uh, very different uh, set of equations. And and plus, also just going through pregnancy and childbirth, even if it goes totally well, is a hell of a strain on uh, any of the the mostly women, you know, who are doing that. Yes. So I'm sorry. You, you did you want to say something else or go somewhere nope. with that? Okay. Um, yeah. Uh, once again, this is Pledge Week. So uh, contact us, valleyfreeradio uh, uh, dot org slash donate because. Uh, you know, we can't talk about this stuff on air. I mean, we talk about this stuff anyways, but we'd just be sitting around at the diner or whatever talking about this. Yes. Um, <laughs> you getting to listen is a function of you contributing to valleyfreeradio.org uh, slash donate. So, so yeah. Um, so we do actually have a, a little while left. So uh, do you want to get into the sort of great inventions portion? Absolutely. I mean, if you're, if you, if, like, contraceptives are hugely important if you're done talking about them. I don't want to be like... <laughs> I think they speak for themselves in a lot of ways. I don't really want to. Yeah, I don't yeah. think you need to belabor labor that point. Um, Ooh. <laughs> 
So, um, yes. Hey, dumb puns are my role in this friendship. I thought we established <laughs> that back in 1984. No, wait, I've known you that long. Never no. Mind. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. So, yeah, absolutely. Uh, uh, you mentioned uh, uh, a whole list of things. Mm -hmm. The friction, you know, friction matches, astrolabes, microscopes, telescopes, and spectacles, which all involve, like, lenses and whatnot. Mm -hmm. Slide rules. Uh, electric lighting, which, oh, yay. <laughs> um, vacuum tube slash, and, and then later transistors. Uh, the Telex slash the Xerox, mm -hmm. uh, and, uh, which is an improvement off the Telegraph, I guess. Yep. And also, uh, you know, box shipping, you know, putting things on pallets and putting them in containers and shipping them around the world that way, which is definitely a big part of our, our current global economy. Right. I, I, those are all big points. Yeah. Um, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, those were sort of the, like, uh, you know, the, the sort of bonus, uh, points questions, uh, for this sort of, uh, discussion. And so, um, you know, once you have a sort of vaguely stable, uh, civilization, you can start to, uh, you know, get into things like science. So you have things uh, like microscopes and uh, telescopes, and you can get into um, greater exploration. So developing astrolabs and uh, the compass, which I didn't mention, uh, which should actually be in uh, essential starts, most likely. Um, and that, of course, was developed originally in uh, China um, and eventually moved uh, west into uh, the rest of the world and they actually developed fun fact the compass was actually developed for uh divination purposes for um it was not developed for navigation? actually being used as a navigation device it was um originally uh the the sort of original very 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 basic um compass was not the compass that we know of today it was a um it was a flat uh piece of metal and then there was a spoon that had been placed on it that was um, magnetized and so uh, the sort of spoon moved around and there were marks on the board and it was like a Ouija board not not like a Ouija board the it was it was fixed in the center it was a you know it would turn like a dial yeah um, I don't you know, I'm, I'm, this is another place where I'm scraping memories from the back of my brain. Uh, so don't, you know, look for fine detail, but, um, but yeah, I know it was definitely for originally for divination, not for, um, hmm. not for, uh, navigation, but you know, then it, they found out that it became pretty good at navigation. Um, and so, uh, of course there is that sort of weird navigation stuff, um, there is this uh, TV personality, I guess, is how I would describe him. Um, he does actually have an archaeology degree, though. Some days I wonder. Uh, there's this, uh, his name is Josh Gates, and he did all of these, you know, travel channel shows and things like that, uh, Destination Truth and things like that. But I still remember uh, there was one time when they were talking about the Vikings and about this sunstone idea mm. that um, you could get a piece of quartz that was perfectly uh crystallized so that it would show a double um it shows it would bend light in a way that you could use it with a compass mm. um and uh or you could use it as a compass basically using a couple of different things and you would have a line and it would point towards where the sun is basically um and so they kind of found one and recreated this and so he was able to find out where north was on a cloudy day and everyone was very impressed um and it was really interesting and um i had gone to a talk a couple of weeks back on actually on um limestone and the woman had these crystals that did that double refraction and it was really interesting um and so there's a lot of other things that you can do um that are sort of speculative um and so um yeah i don't know that was a tangent i apologize 
<laughs> I've heard of sunstones, and I always thought that was interesting. I, I, I wasn't really quite sure how they worked. I thought the idea was like they would let you spot the sun on a cloudy day somehow. But you know. So I guess what you do is you have a mark on the actual crystal, and then you would look out, you would use the crystal, and you would look, and once the two, when somehow the sun reflecting through the clouds, there's a, there was there's enough light that it does something so that the... Um, two lines on the crystal will come together in such a way that you know that that's where North is. Hmm. Um, and like I said, again, not uh, expert knowledge here at all, just uh, kind of talking from my, uh, you know, remembrances. Well, have to, I'll have to look that up and, uh, uh, yeah, do that. <clears throat> um, we do only have a few minutes left, I see, and uh, I know you want to... Uh, Make sure we spend at least a couple more minutes talking about the pledge drive. Yes. Um, Valleyfreeradio.org slash donate. But um, I just wanted to mention uh, electric lighting is obviously really important. It's mm -hmm. absolutely shaped uh, the way our society lives right now. Um, and if you want a simple example of how important that is, just the fact that you can tell where cities are at night from orbit. <laughs> yes. <laughs> is, is definitely a thing. But... Um, uh, there was a really interesting episode of the NPR uh, podcast series Planet Money mm -hmm. uh, a few years ago where they talked to an economist who sat down uh, and worked out, like, the economics of lighting your home. Like, right. how much would it cost to get, like, X amount of illumination, you know? And, you know, when you've got, like, simple fat-based candles in prehistoric times or, you know, you've got a, a wick in, in some kind of oil or whatever, it's a totally different kind of situation than with electric lighting. And uh, just the, the, the math, if you want to enjoy the kind of lighting that we have in this room right now, where we are with, you know, like a simple double uh, fixture of uh, fluorescent lights above us, you know, two fluorescent bulbs, um, that would have cost an astonishing amount of money to be mm -hmm. able to generate that kind of light, uh, you know, in the Middle Ages with torches or whatever. Right. So, so it's one of the reasons why, uh, like, street lighting, mm -hmm. hugely important. They didn't have it in ancient Rome, for example. So, right. You know, so it was uh, apparently just chaos and, and madness and, and violence on the streets of Rome uh, on the regular. Well, yes. Uh, Rome was not exactly known for its, uh, uh, you know, safety. <laughs> no, that's true. Actually, another fun fact, at least for uh, at some point in its history— there were lions living in Rome. Yep. Like, praying in the streets and things. Yep. <sighs> so, yeah. Much as I love cats, that's a bit far. <laughs> <laughs> that's a bit much. Right. So. And, of course, one might argue that one of the other big uh, civilization issues, um, it's not an invention, but um, the adoption, shall we say, of, uh, of not just... Um, sort of food animals, but other animals into our uh, sphere. So dogs and cats, for instance, for mm -hmm. uh, companionship, but also for Birds. rodent control and yep. things like that um, are mm -hmm. definitely a sign of, um, you know, there's a lot of evidence to show that early adoption of uh, dogs into societies really helped shift the way that people could hunt and, and then gave domesticate them, wild st livestock. Exactly. And yeah. gave them access to larger prey that would feed more people for a longer time. And so um, not an invention, but definitely a good idea. Yeah. <laughs> well, in, an invention in a way, just because uh, dogs exist the way they do because of uh, artificial selection. Certainly now. Yes, yeah. absolutely. We yeah. have definitely uh, bred dogs for many different things. And Unfortunately, now we've also bred dogs into uh, some things that they should not have been. Um, like but... the short-nosed dogs? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Cats, uh, cats domesticated us, so that's why most... Your average cat is actually fairly similar to uh, a wild cat in North Africa, where they came from. Yep. So, do we need to wrap up? I think we do. Um, and so, yeah... Um, Thank you for sticking with us, and please, again, if you can, uh, do go to valleyfreeradio.org uh, slash donate and help us continue to be uh, able to bring you stories. 
So, um, yep, that's going to be us for tonight. So uh, have a good night. Thanks for having me on your show, Stacy. And I hope your listeners weren't too upset to have me join you. <laughs> and valleyfuryradio.org slash donate, please. <laughs> All right. Have a good night. This show is part of the Planetside Productions Network. For more information, please visit www.planetside.pro. And thank you for listening.